Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. But the truth is, if I lose hope, then there is no hope, right? If, if today I stood here being like, oh, guys, there's no hope then no one would want to take action. And the truth is that there is hope. As long as we're all here, as long as we're connected and we're trying to make a difference, then there is hope. This autumn, I was asked to lead a short panel discussion on a Houdini sportswear event following a preview of an ongoing movie project called Co-Extinction. Co-Extinction is a project to document and protect the life of the southern resident killer whales off the coast of British Columbia. One of many threats to the orcas is starvation. The panel consisted of the CEO of Houdini Sportswear, Eva Karlsson, the Vice President of Polartec, Eric Young, adventurer and photographer Oskar Schilboy, and the activist and co-producer of the Co-Extinction Project, Gloria Pankrasi. What we saw in the event was just a short preview of the Co-Extinction documentary, and we made promises not to post any pictures or video clips from it. But I need to tell you about one haunting scene that made a deep impression on me. One of the orcas just gave birth to a calf, a much-awaited and much-needed addition to the pod of southern resident killer whales. But her calf dies just after a couple of days. The orcas are a very intelligent and socially complex species, and it is not unheard of that when a mother loses her calf, she will carry it, gently pushing it in front of her for a short amount of time. But this orca carries her dead calf for 17 days. For more than 1,000 miles, she gently pushes her dead calf in front of her. This scene is immensely heartbreaking. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is episode 30 of the international series of the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is made possible thanks to Naturkompaniet. Before we jump to the panel discussion, I talk to Gloria to give you a short background to her and to the project. But if, if, if I ask you to uh, close your eyes and try to imagine that you're... Uh, back home where you usually work what okay. would you see like describe the setting describe okay. the nature and the vibe okay. so i'm in san juan island which is this island in washington that's in the salish sea and there is forest that meets the sea and you can wait on the rocks there, and in the summer, the orcas will come right next to shore. The southern resident killer whales will come right next to shore. And it's just the most magical place. You see eagles and seals and sea lions, and 
the people there just love the orcas so much. So it's a very special place. Um, because this has been a thing for you, like as as a, as a child, even you 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 kind of created this special bond to the to the orcas to the killer whales. Um, could you tell us a bit about that? Mm-hmm. I've I've always loved orcas. I watched Free Willy when I was a kid, and I recently asked my mom how many times I watched it after that, and apparently it was every day for a couple of months. So I, I you were re- indoctrinated into them. Yeah, like an obsession, and I think there's so many reasons why. Then I would I would watch every documentary I could to learn more about them, and I think I just just connected with them. I don't really know why. I think from then learning more about them, you know, whenever they're talked about, they're talked about as like hunters who are so smart, but also kind of dangerous and evil. And I always saw them as matriarchs that are so caring to one another and that are so intelligent. So, yeah. Uh, So at what point did you uh, kind of connect the dots and realize that they were in trouble? that they needed your help and that they needed our help? I actually didn't know for a very long time that they were endangered. I uh, I was in university and kind of caught up with that life. And and as as much as I still love them so much and I would do protests against SeaWorld and all that, I, I didn't know that they were in trouble in the wild. Not a lot of people were talking about that. And so... Graduating from university, I started to volunteer at different organizations at West, and I was actually writing an, a report on Southern Resident Killer Whales. So here I was writing all the reasons why they were going extinct, and so I was really like whiplashed with all this information of the last 78 Southern Resident Killer Whales at the time. And and that's when I connected the knots right away. I remember going home and talking to my dad and being like, I want to do something to save them, but I'm scared because never done a documentary and it's really big and and he encouraged me that I could do it. So could you uh, uh, kind of briefly describe the the major what type of threats do they face? Right. So the southern resident killer whales face a multitude of threats but the main one the most important one is that they don't have enough food. There are other ones like the amount of toxins in the water and the noise disturbance but really if you see the other populations that live in the same waters of them the big killer whales they're thriving right now and they're living in the same noisy waters and the same polluted waters and the only difference is that they have food so the main thing we need to fix is bring the salmon back and the salmon is going endangered this year was the worst year on record i'm not sure if it was the worst year on record this year was one of the worst years for salmon runs Grizzlies have been seen emaciated in BC. That's not normal. So we need to bring the salmon back. Um, and this movie project, um, how is that going? When do you uh, when do you plan to have it out, and when do you want to to have it out? We want to have this documentary out as soon as possible because these orcas aren't getting better. We lost three this summer, and. Is it, is it due, when when they when they when they pass? Is it due to starvation or when they? So we've lost three due to starvation this summer, um, and we know that because before they die, we see them getting thinner and thinner, and they start to get peanut head, which is you see their their skeleton pretty much, and you see their their head, their like head skull, their skull. There we go, and um, and there are two newborns that are a lot of hope but we got to protect them because if we don't change soon they're going to have the same fate as all the other babies that have died 
So we're trying to get it out as soon as possible, but we are looking for funding to finish the documentary. So if anyone out there listening has wants to get involved and wants to help bring this documentary out to the finish line and out to the world and make a change, feel free to reach out to us. We're always down tell, to tell us Tell us how to reach out. You can reach us. Re, you can find us on Instagram and on our website, coextinctionfilm.com. And then you can either email us or DM us on Instagram. We'll make sure to get back to you and then we'll be happy to hop on a Skype call, get to know you. This is anything from, from big companies to small companies to individuals and, and, mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah, any we're looking for production companies, sponsors, organizations, you know, whether you're anyone or just an individual that wants to help. We're looking for any kind of funding coming from any small to big people and organizations and companies and anything in between. If you want to know more about this episode, get all the links and such, head over to huskypodcast.com. You can also look up Husky on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. Thank you everyone for for coming. And thank you Gloria for this uh, beautiful and terrifying (laughs) preview. You can sit next to you. So I've been handed this um, super panel of uh, activists and entrepreneurs and an um, adventurer gone missing. Oscar, <laughs> welcome on stage. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and representatives of the outdoor industry. And um, I'll just start with letting yourself uh, introduce yourself. Starting with, uh, let's start with Gloria, the main character, the one of the co-producers of this movie, Coextinction. Yeah, so I'm I'm the director, producer, and host of Coextinction, and that's pretty much most of myself at this point because this is my baby. This is what I've been working on for two years, and I'm just trying to protect the southern resident killer whales and salmon from extinction. Well. Yeah, so I'm the CEO of Houdini Sportswear, um, Swedish outdoor brand, and we've been uh, working together. For how long? Who? How long? Yeah. Like a, you and a, a, uh, Over a year, because yeah. it was before we went to film. So, so we've I'd been say. following the project since the start, more yeah. or less. And Oscar? I'm world famous here in Fimboda as an adventure. <laughs> uh, to, I, I, I'm old. I've done. I've started climbing when people didn't climb and so on. Or you're starting to forget some of the things you've done. Yes, it's so long time since I was on Everest and all that. It was a very long time ago. But I'm also very um, engaged in the Baltic Sea. And Eric. I'm Eric Young. I'm vice president international for Poltech. So I work with Eva and and. Uh, and many people who've been on Everest to, to produce uh, the best fabrics for uh, outdoor apparel. That's what we do. Um, so start, to start off, the, and a question for the entire panel. Uh, your, your thoughts and emotions after seeing this preview, Eric? Definitely breathtaking. I, I, I was shocked because, I mean, that... It's the first time I see that movie tonight, right? I'm I'm not faking anything. And and this movie, Orca, 
has been on my mind forever. So it's not making me any younger, but I, I, I saw that when I was young, and it was for me the first you know horror movie, and uh, and it's pretty interesting. And 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 when you get to know those animals a bit a bit better through reading and, and learning, it's it's pretty fascinating and 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 struggling um, how we're making. Um, life difficult for ourselves. Oscar? Yeah, I, I, I agree. <clears throat> and I think um, uh, we, we have a lot of similar problems all around the world, um, also here in the Baltic Sea. Um, we don't have workers here. We have porpoise, tumblare, which nobody has ever seen, but they are there. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, but I'm, I'm really happy for you to, 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 to do this because it, it, it creates emotions. That's yeah. what we need. Uh, it's, it's incredibly powerful and it speaks to our emotions. And I think it's high time to start working on, on that rather than the rationale. Um, like biologists say, we can save the natural world. It's just a matter of will we? Do we want it enough? Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, there's a sense of urgency that uh, has been around for many years here at Tudini, so uh, we have to wake up and there's not that much time. Uh, so Gloria, for how long have you known that this project would become a movie? Right from the start, as soon as I found out that the southern resident killer whales were endangered, I, I knew I had to do something. And I had just finished journalism school, and so, and I've also always loved storytelling and how it can inspire people and create real change, to me at least. And so it was clear to me that a documentary was the way to go. Um, I was inspired by, you know, documentaries like Shark Water and Blackfish, and, and at the time, before J35 carried her calf, there wasn't that much media about it, so I was like, how can these orcas be going extinct and no one's doing anything about it. There was scientists, all of that, but no big documentary. So that was kind of my challenge to create that. How did you uh, come up with the name Coextinction and, and why? What, is it, what does it symbolize? What does it mean? Yeah, funny, funny story and great question because it actually was going to be named 78. When we started, there were 78 southern resident killer whales left. And as we were, you know, raising funds to go film and creating the story, more and more were slowly dying. One of them who was 23, I was 23. So just young orcas dying too soon and we realized we had to change the name. And we were brainstorming with Alana, who you all met on screen. And we were playing off extinction, which is obviously so real. And also that we need to coexist. And at first we came up with coexistinction. <laughs> and then it wasn't a word and then we shortened it and then found this this gold almost of, oh wow, this is a term that not a lot of people talk about, that extinction rarely goes alone. When one species goes extinct, a lot go extinct with that one species, and that's what hap what's happening with the salmon and the orcas on the west coast. Uh, how have you, uh, or, or how would you describe the project for someone who, well, hasn't seen this uh, preview or is not familiar with the situation? Yeah. I would say it's a, it's a story about the southern resident killer whales who are critically endangered. There's only 73 of them left, but it's also a story about the salmon and how interconnected the species are and how an ecosystem is on the verge of collapse. And it's also a story about people. 
co-extinction is also about us. It's about us. We're the ones that are able to save this species and ultimately ourselves too. This is something we're facing eventually, right now. And we can coexist. So that's how everything is interconnected and how we can change things. Um, describe the team, like briefly, like what, what, what type of people uh, are involved in this pod of yours? Amazing people, <laughs> definitely. So Elena is this bright burst of energy. She's creative and she's determined. And whenever I feel like I can't do this or like we can't do this, she'll bring me up. Um, so she leads fearlessly, which I love. And then the rest of our team are, you know, so we have other producers who are so talented and creative, um, who we have this other producer who's the American version of me. She was working on that same, uh, she was working for the US version of the boat I was working on, monitoring the orcas, and she knows everything there is to know about orcas. Just a lot of people worldwide, actually. We got people in England, Canada, states who all just want to help and we're about nine people mm. and it really shows you just how when you come together you can make a lot of big things happen uh, you have a web page as well like a personal web page and, and, and on that site you describe yourself as an activist mm -hmm. um, what does the word activist mean to you what does it mean to me um, or being I, an activist like yeah that. I think it just means pushing for change and standing for things that you believe in, but not necessarily that you believe in, but that need to happen and that aren't happening, and then doing whatever you can to make those things happen. Um, uh, on a scale like between despair on one hand and hope on the other, where could we place you? Mm -hmm. It's. I love that you asked this question because it's a line that I constantly crossed. When I first started, I think I was very naive and I was on I was in Toronto or I was in Montreal and this was way out on the west coast and I was like, it's gonna be easy to fix this, you know, like once people know that these the workers are endangered. No exactly. And then I got there and I realized just how complicated it was and then I threw myself on this project and more orcas were dying and I was realizing that the government knew what they had to do, they just weren't doing it. Meanwhile, saying that they are taking action, and I became hopeless. And this was during filming, which was really hard because you're already so tired. <laughs> and but then I I gained hope again through meeting all the people who work on this project, and they told me like I've struggled with that as well. But the truth is, if I lose hope, then there is no hope, right? If if today I stood here being like, oh guys, there's no hope then no one would want to take action. And the truth is that there is hope. As long as we're all here, as long as we're connected and we're trying to make a difference, then there is hope. So, so. It's act becoming an activist is an active way of uh, like giving yourself hope. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And and also seeing other kinds of activism. Like Obviously being here and thinking of what Greta Thunberg started. I hope I'm saying the name right. Um, <laughs> that that gives hope seeing people come together and stand up and taking action in big issues and small issues however they can, that can't not give you hope. Uh, so the rest of the panel, what, what, what comes to mind when I say the word activist, like the, the role and the purpose of an activist? Catalyst for change, that is bold, daring and uh, maybe curious enough to go after something that is uh, not 
conventional and super important, I think. We sometimes call ourselves a, a new breed of activists in the business community. And the way we figure it is that uh, the ambitions of the business world has been way too low. I mean, why would you think that it's okay to do good business while you're contributing to destruction somewhere else? Orcas or whatever in the Baltic Sea. Uh, we're creative. We should raise the bar way higher. So why not do it? And I think that's why we have hope, because we've gone after it and actually done what we can. So you're and transformed ourselves and disrupted our industry. You're a business, Together with business like activist. Huh? Business, you're a business activist. activist. Yeah. And sometimes we go out and join, and uh, join up all the kinds of other activists, which I think is part of, the, part of the creating a movement, is not staying isolated in this business silo, but rather collaborating across industries and across sectors. So collaborating with you guys, scientists, activists on the streets, like going uh, on the Fridays for Future. Yeah, it's important stuff. We have to do this together. But we're also stuck in a system. That's the frustration I think we feel at Houdini. Because some things we can do together with you, and it takes only two or three partners. And some things we can do in terms of innovation with Polartec, and that takes only the two of us. But then there are so many things that we need to do all at once and all together in, at a societal level. And that's not happening. And of course, it's not easy either, but we have to do it. Uh, so, Eric, you consider yourself as a business activist as well? <laughs> I'd like to think that I've, I've <clears throat> I found myself in, uh, in many places where I was um, advocating, meaning talking, participating in some speeches, in some of those committees that deal with sustainability. And, um, and that's a personal experience. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. There's probably, and there's obviously some committees that lead to great decisions that are impactful, but I, I found my time was more useful to, to such issues as the one we, we are discussing today, um, doing my actual work and, and, and convincing customers um, into, into buying more um, sustainable solutions for, for apparel. So I don't know if you want to call it activist. I think activist is a mix of thinking, having a, a vision and objectives, but also acting. And, um, and that, that's what we've been trying to do for, for many years. Uh, at least I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to work for a company that uh, embodies that. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Um, and Oscar, you have you have long hair. That's classical activist uh, apparel. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Us too. <laughs> Don't have to do anything. Just go out and grow your hair. Yeah. No, I think activism for me is that we we take action, and that we do what we are good at. So there. Activists, everyone in here could be an activist in your own field. You could be an activist as being a journalist. Uh, I'm an adventurer, I do adventures. Uh, and one thing I try to do is, because it's the, the base, the ground of all this climate change, and uh, it, it has to be based on science. And, but science is, isn't always that sexy. So what I try to do is to do adventures and try to, to, to get more attention on, on, on certain issues and topics and try to make science sexier, and that's my sort of activism. Like paddle from Stockholm to Gotland on a stand-up paddle board? No, from Gotland to Stockholm. Ah, from Gotland to Stockholm, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, but from a Baltic Sea perspective, like, do you see uh, like differences, similarities to the to the problems uh, described in the movie. There of course, a, we don't have killer whales. But. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, uh, like um, the, the overfishing, uh, which is completely crazy in the, in the Baltic Sea. I don't know what the politicians are, are up to. Um, the, we have had the similar issues in the Baltic Sea, uh, if you want to be positive, talk about the sea eagle, which was really almost extinct. Uh, in, in the few years ago, but has now come back. And, and if you go out in the in the in the archipelago, you can almost every time you see sea eagles, which is a good sign. Same thing with seals that was almost extinct before. Now they've come back. So there is definitely hope, and and uh, the, the the quality of the water in in, in the coastal coastal areas close to to the the um, the, uh, the, um, the coast is a lot better since the 70s. So things are getting better. Um, but unfortunately, we would, we would need to have uh, uh, orcas in the Baltic Sea. We have porpoise or tumbler, but, but we would like, need to have something cute and furry and, you know, aesthetically uh, that creates nice. emotions and so on. And we don't have that really right now because it's um, a perch and pike and not so... I mean, Porpoises are cute. They are, but nobody's <laughs> ever seen them. Fair. You know, I've talked to, to I've talked to people living out in the in the in the archipelago, and for 40, 50 years they've never seen a porpoise. So, um. Um. but sometimes it's enough with just the beauty of the of nature. Absolutely, right. doesn't have to be a cute creature. No, but yeah. it helps. It helps. And I think you've managed to do that many times in terms of portraying the Baltic Sea, the the amazing system that just runs on its own and creates all these uh, positive effects for all of us. Uh, so that in itself is beauty and, of course, aesthetic beauty as well. Yeah. And what I also think is important is that every little thing matters. 
um, and and being hopeful, definitely. I think the, the if, if I if I'm not hopeful in what I'm doing, I could go down and lie down and die because it's the only way out to be hopeful and 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 to believe that things that we do actually uh, can change um, the Baltic Sea and the world. Um, you've made changes and 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 you've taken action on on other parts of your life because you used to, uh, like for instance, you've you've decided to stop like guiding to Kilimanjaro. Yeah, uh, because you couldn't, uh, well, defend it. You couldn't, you couldn't motivate like motivate yourself to do it. Uh, what kind of decisions and emotions led up to that? Well, I had a group of twelve people this February, and then we were there for nine days, and finally, eventually, the summit day, and you get up there for the. I think I've been there seven times or so, and I see, wow, that glacier is really, really small compared to last year. Yeah, idiot, what do you think? You fly people here, of course, the glacier melts. And I think that's the big, the big issue we have. It's easy to sit here and talk about, wow, I love nature and we're going to save the world and hallelujah, but we need to change our behaviors. But and for me, that's one way. I make a lot of money on those trips, but I decided if I'm going to change, I have to start with myself. So now I don't fly people to Kilimanjaro anymore. However, if there's anyone want to go there by train, I'm happy to be there. Um, but have you seen a change in, 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 in thought and mindset and behavior within the outdoor community? Because, as you said, you're old. You've been, <laughs> no, but <laughs> you've, you've been in the game for quite some time. And have you seen a big change over the last like, 10, 20 years? Absolutely. And I think it's now we have knowledge. In, I, I saw the first time I saw orcas was in 1970. I was six years old in SeaWorld. And the orcas was like, great, wow. It was, you know, no talk about extinction or anything. And it's same thing with, 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 you know, these films here in Sweden where we put stones in our trash and throw it overboard so the trash would sink to the bottom. And that was the way we did it, at, you know, in the 60s. So there has been change, a lot of change, uh, awareness. Uh, but still I'm looking for... Um, a bit faster movement in 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 we you know we have to uh, stop flying we have to you know cut down our meat eating we have to um, I mean it's take salmon we were talking about sal the, the Norwegian farmed salmon uh, before the film here and if everybody in here could please stop eating sushi or just salmon or salmon or whatever i mean because 99 of the salmon we eat here in, in sweden is farmed in norway and it is not good at all so uh, that's one step it's one step mm -hmm. and and now we know now that you know it, it it will take a few days before you stop completely and and i think also in the in that as an adventure um i think a lot of adventurers have have started to think a lot of mountain guides have started to not flying people around the world but you know doing things here in in, in sweden and norway and, and more locally and and but i think we need to you know step up that work a bit um eric as the vice president for polar tech your your customers and correct me if i'm wrong but your customers are primarily companies such as houdini for instance have you seen a change in their behavior like what they ask for when they come to you like uh, ordering fabrics and so on yeah so you you were asking earlier about the level of optimism uh, it varies it varies from one region to another from one customer to another you still i still meet customers that um, still live under the uh, you know 1980s 1990s era mm. 
right in the middle, you, you find customers that will tell you, okay, we are on board because our consumers could be okay with a more sustainable fabric and, and, and textiles as long as they don't have to make an effort and pay more expensive for it. My, my, my stance on that is that for us it's becoming hard to find customers and consumers, especially in the outdoor space, that, that are ready to buy non-recycled uh, polyester fleece, for example. Um, we, we've gone from something like 10% in 2006 uh, up to more than 60% of, of, of the content of what we do is made with plastic water bottles. Um, so, so yeah, that, that, I think that speaks for the change that, that's been happening, but there's still a long way to go. But the, the changes you've made, are they primarily based on like proactive decisions from, from within the company, or is it based on requests from, from Eva? Well, no, well, uh, a <laughs> request from Eva, I would say that we invent fabrics, but we, we, we're not really users. The users ask us, um, so of course we have engineers that some of them have created modern synthetic fleece, okay, but we are working with our customers and they are the ones who come to us with, with requests for more, um, uh, more sustainability, more abrasion resistance, or, or, or a blend of both. And, and that's what we do, try to maintain performance, try to keep you warm and, and comfortable, even in super harsh climates, and, and do something that, that's more uh, sustainable and, and done in, in better conditions for the workers too. Uh, so, Eva, I tried to get hold of, hold of you this weekend, but now I have you on stage, so I'll just ask you now instead. You were recently in Brussels. Yes. Tell me about that. Why, why did you go there? What happened? Um, I went there... Well, let me start with this. There's, uh, we're, we're a small team, and we have so much work uh, to move ahead according to plan, to reach our goals, and uh, just... yeah. Everything. Work, there's a lot of work. But getting the chance to go to Brussels and talk to politicians has become important for us. Because we see that uh, what we're doing is inspiring some to come along and join us and uh, transform themselves as well. But it's moving way too slow. And the reason is that there's no financial gain for anybody but the absolute frontrunners. We're frontrunners, so it's worth it for us because we gain recognition, people feel like we're the coolest brand, a rebel in the industry, whatever. Um, but those who are second or third or tenth, by the way, and who have huge volumes, they have to find a reason to change. And the financial system is working in the opposite direction. There's no reason to change. Mm -hmm. So that's why we need to go to Brussels. And we were invited, uh, and that's a, the positive side of the story. Uh, the EU has realized that maybe this sustainable business, maybe that's like the future for the EU, to, have a, to be a front-runner region in the world in terms of providing or understanding or creating sustainable business. So they invited 10 front-runners uh, from the European countries in different sectors, and we were the one from textile. Uh, because you are quite a frequent visitor and, 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 and speaker at symposiums and, and events such as that. And what is it that people want to, to know? What do they want to learn? Is, is it that, the circular thing, the, your take on it? Well, we share, share our way of working with colleagues in the business, and then it's more like 
how to, where to start and so forth, and just sharing knowledge on uh, technologies or solutions to microplastics, which you and I have been working on since 2013 together with our teams. Um, but then others have, um, I, I guess those are the most um, concrete and relevant discussions. I think sometimes there's so many politicians, um, mainly, mainly politicians, who are looking at uh, finding quick fixes and easy solutions. Like, oh, we're close to a positive tipping point now because Houdini is here telling us how great yeah. it's going. But that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, do you ever get the feeling that people just, they just smile and they admire you and wow, and they uh, applaud you and everything. But, but once you leave the room, it's like, business as usual or do you see uh, do you see a change like over the last no I, I'm hopeful there I see change it's hard to it's complex and uh, takes a lot of knowledge and then also some some guts to make the decisions that are right in the long run but, but like uh, Greta who's been around everywhere uh, she's doing an amazing job I think she might have both the negative effect of people feeling like now we can stand here and applaud her and then go back to business as usual. But she also, I think, plants seeds everywhere, even with the, within those who are um, not at all um, open to her ideas from yeah. the start. I heard when I was in Berkeley last week that uh, two big changes. Students who are going to university in the US now, they're demanding of their faculties to change uh, the curriculum because they're not seeing that the new era and the new thinking is uh, part of it, but rather very, very stale and old financial um, educations. And then the next thing is the, the kids are going back home and questioning their parents. Why are you flying there? You can take the train. So there's, there's a movement from so many different directions. So that makes me super hopeful right now, actually. Um. So what, like speaking to the entire panel, panel, like in this situation now with the climate crisis and everything, like what do you feel, what, what moves fast and what moves slow when it comes to change for the better? You were, we were talking about mentioning the political system, for instance, and the economic system. Is it hmm. the slowest? Yeah. The legal system is moving ahead much faster, surprisingly enough. But it seems like, you know, the rights of nature and ecocide might potentially become reality. Um, but the financial and political system are, are slow. I feel like it's like the talking goes very fast. Like, it's like, okay, let's get together. Let's set targets. Great. That goes super fast. But as soon as it's actually setting up the actions to make the targets meet, then it's very slow. And you see in the UN climate talk they recently had, the report is, most of it is readjusting the targets and readjusting the strategies instead of actually just being like, okay, we're going to do this and we're actually going to make it happen. That's where I feel like there's a big discrepancy. Yeah, definitely. We have to, I mean, as I said before, we have to change our behavior. We, you have to start changing your way of behavior and that's, you know, that hurts because... We're used to do like we, what we ever done, what we have done always, you know, and, and and changing that behavior isn't always that doesn't go that quick. 
Yeah, it's 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 a super complex equation, and that's why things are are so slow. You you need a mix of of uh, yeah discussions and and emotions to 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 raise the awareness. You need the science. I like you spoke about science earlier because we, without that, you really don't build you know strong foundations for change. And then you need uh, the business side to work because we're all consumers, and at the end of the day, you you need that part to work. And I would believe that politicians will follow that rather than lead them, but that, that's a personal opinion once again. Well, they have to. <laughs> if, 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 they want if, our votes. <laughs> if we also use our, use our votes and take that seriously, you know? Yeah. And to also vote with our dollar every day, because like you say, we are, every day we consume so much, yeah. right? From what you buy, what you, like, food-wise, clothes-wise, if you drive, if you take a bike, anything. And if everyone tomorrow stopped buying anything owned by Coca-Cola, just an example, it would run out of business, right? So it's just like if everyone stopped eating salmon or fish tomorrow, then we would have to stop fishing it. If we just cut it from the source, then there's our answer. Yeah, we're totally voting with, with our uh, wallets, and, and um, so we, we have an impact. I think um, uh, something that struck me in, 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 your, uh, in your movie earlier was that, I mean, the impact of, of that freight situation, those huge boats, um, actually that, that um, traffic growing. Um, together with, with Houdini, we made a decision to, to, to make our fabrics closer to where Houdini needs it, because um, they build garments in Europe. And, 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 and just imagine, I mean, that, that's one very small example. I mean, we all need to do something, but that's millions, it, it's kilometers uh, of, of textile that are not going to cross the oceans around the world. Um, and um, it's small things like this that are not small things when, you know, when it comes into play and that you need to move production, but it's, um, it's what we do. That's amazing. Um, in order to, to, to help push people more on the more to the hope side of the scale. <laughs> How would you like to inspire people to uh, to start making changes? Or the residents, the southern resident killer whales. Um, okay, here's a spiel. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot, but there's so much we can all do, really. The first one is to call and write to Governor Jay Inslee, who's the governor of Washington, asking him to breach the four Lower Snake River dams. Now, these four dams kill eight million salmon every year, and they cost more to upkeep. They cost about a billion dollars every year to fix them up because they're broken. They're so broken that there was an oil spill from them this summer. So they're, they need to be breached. There've been, they, First Nations have been removed from their land for them to be breached, and they were promised that they would come down in 2010. Of course, that didn't happen. There's so much corruption happening around these dams that could every year bring back 8 million salmon. So that's the first thing we can all do. And even if you're not from there, of course, if you're from Washington, it's rings stronger for him. But even, so little story, back in a year ago, we did an international protest asking everyone to call his office, and about 1,000 people called that day. And you know, eventually it starts to make sense to him and it's starting to come up a little bit more. So if we keep the pressure on that, that's a huge one. And also calling and writing to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying you are opposed to the Transmountain Pipeline, which is what we were talking about in, this, in the preview, which is it's going to most likely wipe out the Southern Resident Killer Whales because one oil spill from that and it's done. And also just 
a seven-fold increase is going to be, I forget what it is, I think it's tankers every five minutes, which is insane. And so those are the things, but also calling and writing to your own government saying you want climate action now and you want a system change and what you want to see happen because overall a big issue that's affecting salmon is the climate crisis. The water temperatures are rising and salmon can't survive in that temperature. So if, if we fix the climate crisis or reverse it, then there's a lot of hope. So that's a big one, voting with your dollar, voting when you get to vote, but also calling and writing to your government whenever you, every day if you can. That's the big one. Stopping to eat salmon is huge. And then reducing your carbon footprint however you can. So every small little steps, big little steps, again, voting with your dollar. And uh, if people want to follow this project, it's... So the most updated is on Instagram, so it's Coextinction Film. We post any updates on the Southern residents, how they're doing, how the salmon is doing, any any update, and also how we're doing, how how the documentary is progressing along. And then there's also the website where you can learn more about the issues, what you can do to help, um, learn more about everything else. We don't have much more time because people need to mingle. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, take the chance to, to, to talk to Gloria and Eric and, and Oscar and Eva uh, while they're hanging out with a beer. Uh, thank you all for coming, joining the panel, and thank you all for listening and seeing this preview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet. The music is made by Joel Möller. Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.